This is a Just Gold podcast. Recorded on the lands of the peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, we pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. In this episode, we'll discuss how structural oppression holds women back from leadership positions, financial stability and security as they age, and how social connections can help combat these issues. Joe, you've worked most of your life in the not-for-profit sector. What do you see there that can really maybe help make more women more visible as they go through their whole life? I'll come to um, some of the research that I did recently, but I just want to pick up on this theme around, you know, getting women into the leadership positions, just to remind us that there are a whole lot of structural changes that need to happen around that um, in order for women to age well. And one of the key things, obviously, is equal pay and then um, equal superannuation in terms of the provisioning for uh, later in life. And as we know, um, that is a significant issue. And in COVID context, there's some research which has just come out showing uh, women who have been coerced into accessing their superannuation um, during COVID by partners, um, which, you know, for the first time for some of these women are now presenting to services um, recognising that um, they're actually in an abusive relationship for, you know, coercive behaviours. So, you know, things keep nuancing and shifting, but we need to make sure that we look at the structural issues as well as what we do at the micro level between people to support each other. I think one of the things that we want to do through the Invisible Woman Project, and I think is key to International Women's Day, is look at the systems change that needs to happen and the culture change. So the flip side of some of that is that, you know, it's so good for men to be able to take um, parenting leave. And for years we know that was provided for, but men didn't take it because it wasn't a good look in the office if you were the one who took the leave. So there's all sorts of cultural things that, that sort of sit underneath this. And um, as the mother of daughters, I'm conscious that, you know, they are still experiencing subtle discriminations around the fact they're the ones having the babies. They're the ones taking time out um, in terms of who's actually getting the promotion. It's not as blatant as it used to be, but I think it's still there. Do you think that um, the changes in flexible working because of COVID, particularly here in Victoria, do you think that's going to sustain and make a difference? I just think we can't assume anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the talk of build back better, I always get worried when I hear the back word in there because we actually want to build forward. <laughs> and the things that didn't work beforehand still won't work even if we've got some different ways of dressing it up. You've got a choice of whether you can work at home or whether you work in the office and days of the week. But if we haven't actually changed whether you're getting equal pay and equal superannuation, what difference will that make? except that you probably could do more childcare still. Um, so I think, you know, we need to be careful that things are not window dressing and that we've actually carried them through to the actual drivers of the inequality in order to break the bias. One of the things that was important in the piece of research that I did in 2018 when um, in, a, in my role as CEO of a community service organisation, and I had 350 volunteers working with our organisation, 
and conscious that a number of them were in the older category, um, 50 plus, 65 plus. And I really wanted to test whether what was happening in the broader picture was actually happening for these women who were actually women that you would think they had professional roles and they were, you know, teachers, nurses, you know, retired, um, seemed to be in a more middle class um, living circumstances. What was happening for them? And it was really interesting to hear the stories from women who, through divorce and separation, through family violence, developing a disability, or you know, as a result of separation, not getting any superannuation, and were finding themselves in their 60s, not sure whether they could pay the rent. You know, they had gone backwards very significantly, and although they were very well dressed, people wouldn't have realised how vulnerable they were until they were actually encouraged to talk about it. The other um, factor that came through was their sense of shame. So they were less likely to ask for help. Um, and one of the things that, through the literature review we did, it was very clear that there were factors which enhance the vulnerability of women and they kind of coalesce and the complexity develops as they all um, interplay. So if you haven't got enough money and you get a health issue and you haven't got a, a house, then you've got three major things that are affecting you. Or if you come from a newly arrived migrant group, you may not know how the service system works, you don't know where to go for help. We did find that you know, the most protective factor or the potential for protection and safety is to do with social connections. And as you age, it's a bit paradoxical, and even for myself, you're finding not everybody ages with you and that you're losing people. So some of your closest friends and your own networks, um, you lose people either through change of circumstances or because people literally die. So your social networks start to shrink. And one of the things that we would be recommending that women must do and is part of the Invisible Woman Project is helping women to refresh and renew their social networks, to join things, to get engaged, to be able to talk with people and not be isolated. That isolation is a really significant risk factor for vulnerability. And the, the antidote to that is to actually have a network and, and people that you spend time with and they may need to be new people. It's also important that we've found family is not a substitute for a social network. Um, so you can be actually quite invisible within a family where the older women's advice may no longer be needed because young people are ordering their food so they don't actually need their older generation. Um, so it's really important that you have those social connections that are outside of family as well. So one of the positive of COVID was by actually drawing people's eyes in to their local community and in, in Melbourne, you're five kilometres and people actually saying, do you know who your neighbours are? Um, and that was one of the really good things, I think, that came out of COVID. But what Absolutely. we need to do is not take it for granted. How do we make that cultural? Instead of just, you know, part of a pandemic response, that's the way we now do things. Mm. And when people can say, that's the way we do things around here, we know that we've got a culture change. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I certainly know far more of my neighbours now than I did before COVID, which has been nice because I've been working from home for nearly two years now. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, it really brought home to me that I need more hobbies and networks and things outside my work mm -hmm. because I get a lot of my social connection and, and purpose in life through my job. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was trapped at home, um, 
and I wasn't doing all the things in the evenings with friends and things like that, I realised that it can very easily fall away. And so I started to think, okay, as I'm getting older, what, what are going to be my sort of hobbies that sustain, even if I've, after I've retired or if I change jobs? Um, and I think the social networking you were talking about, I think it's really important for women through a working life as well. And yeah. quite often women don't go to conferences, don't network, because they see it as an indulgence, mm. whereas men are out there doing it. And that partly helps with their social um, connections, but it also obviously helps with their career because the bigger the network is, the more opportunities there will be for career progression as well. And so I think that one of the things that I always like to try and encourage female staff in my teams to do is go out and do that kind of networking. And if I have to frame it as professional development, I will do that. <laughs> uh, or as representing the organisation, because sometimes that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. um, but it is really important. And so that, that social connection can happen in so many different ways. But you're right, it's so important in terms of staying visible, staying um, relevant, I think, and in a career sense, staying powerful as well. You can connect with us on social media at Just Gold Women or on our website at justgold.net. The Invisible Woman Project is a social partnership with the City of Melbourne. And in this space, we will be hosting consultations for women from across Victoria, but in particular from our city. So you can connect, you can share your stories, you can be on video if you want, or you can just make friends. On our pages, you can subscribe to our podcast and docu-series that's coming up over the next few months. Thank you for coming in tonight. Thank you for joining us and let's break the bias together. Join us next episode as our guests discuss how architecture and urban design impact life for women of all ages. This was a Just Gold podcast. Find out more about our social enterprise at justgold.net.